In a world of podcasts about movies, sci-fi, TV, and podcasts about sci-fi, TV, and movies, two women chose to add their voices to the fray. Two sisters. One woman was willing to go to any length to explain away plot holes and bad pacing. I don't think, first of all, much like the entirety of this film, I don't think we're supposed to ask a lot of questions. The other, though, had no such sympathies. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Together, they joined forces to highlight the good, the bad, and the truly bizarre. This is See You Next Week in Space. Well, this movie really does uh, suggest some things, I would say. Um, and and what <laughs> I just diving in. <laughs> what I would say mostly, what I like, and we'll of course talk more about this as we go. I do like how the, when I use the word suggests, that's what I'm. That is like the verb that covers the whole movie because this is this is kind of I would say a semi light touch on pretty much everything that this movie raises as a question or an issue. Um, and mm. so one, so my question to open things up today, Amy, mm-hmm. is if genetic engineering were a real oh, thing. No. Yeah. Well, I guess it's a bit of a two-parter. One. Okay. Oh, gosh. Would you wish that our parents had used genetic engineering on you like would you want that and then okay kind of sub question what would you have wanted them to use it for like what kind of changes or edits do you think you would make of your current self (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, that is if anyone just heard a can opening that is the can of worms um (laughs) The, <laughs> um, what okay. do you suppose a can Never. of worms would sound like? Just like a pop, and then like nothing. Yeah, I think it would just sound like a regular can because worms don't make a sound. <laughs> right? Has there like, ever been a quiet. can? Was that ever a thing that you'd carry why worms you around a in a can? I don't know. I don't know why you would, other than like feeding them to like, or using them as bait. But I don't think you'd. Yeah, I think that'd be a jar, not a can. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, we can't. That's even a whole I other mean, question. Okay, that's a whole other. We'll talk about that on our next episode. But okay, so if they could do genetic testing on me, would I have wanted them to to create me or whatever? not genetic testing, genetic engineering, or genetic engineering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I think that would depend on the world we live in. Um, in our current world timeline (laughs) i don't know i don't know that i care so much if i'm living in this movie that we watched yes yeah because it seems pretty crappy if they don't (laughs) if you seem like you're inferior um and you would feel that your whole life so in that sense yes Mm. um if they were to use genetic engineering to edit my current self am i Oh, God, like so many things. <laughs> um, 
There's so many things. Unfortunately, <laughs> like, it, unfortunately, they all feel like they're physical attributes. And I don't know if that's quite what genetic engineering is about. But well, according to this like, movie, that seems to be a main component. What I would want. Yeah, I would definitely want like um, like a better metabolism, a better um, lung capacity, all that. So I could like um, <laughs> be like working out would be easier and like a cinch and I could be like really in shape. <laughs> OK, sure. Um, that I would like. Um, I would like. <laughs> I mean, it's. Like, I literally would want all the opposite things of what I have because <laughs> I've not experienced that. That sounds, and I don't mean that as like, a, oh, I hate myself. Right. Well, you know, but like. No more um, so than any other human. Does. Yeah. I mean, I hate myself <laughs> fine, but like. <laughs> because. Like, not like. Because well. let us not forget that in our current timeline, no matter how you were born or how you develop physically, you are wrong. <laughs> right. There is right. almost no one who looks like, like, no matter what you look like, there is almost no one in the world that looks right, according right. to our own standards according- of beauty. Right, exactly. And even, like, the most beautiful ones are like, meh, I like this person. It's like, oh, shut up. Anyway, so, like, I think I'd, like, I'd want to be tall just right. to, like, see what that was like. I'd want to have dark hair to see what that was like. I definitely, 100% first on my list, straight hair. <laughs> um so that um yeah, yeah the I power of a like, person I mean, it's all, who it's can all like very very um shallow stuff yeah <laughs> i mean but i was just about to say the power of a person getting a haircut and seeing it and knowing that's how it's gonna look when it dries oh my god i can't even i mean like literally does that change my entire world view Yes. Like, I think, <laughs> <laughs> well, not even just getting a haircut and like, and that's what it is when it tries, literally getting out of the shower and looking at your hair and be like, well, this is what it's going to look like today and yeah. tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. And like, literally every day. And then also like, if I do the same thing to my hair, like same set of procedures every day, it's going to look, the outcome will always look the same. Yeah, love it like I would <laughs> I, that might be that might be like the I would say that I think is my biggest one I think would be the hair first then like the um the better metabolism and that whole like heart health all that sure and then the other stuff like I don't care I don't need to be tall it would just be an interesting difference sure agreed those are mine what would be yours um well Yes, I agree with you that I don't think I need or want genetic engineering done to me in this timeline. I would want it if we existed in the world of this movie, quite obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah. And in terms of, like, things I would want to change, um, I think actually my first stop would be eyesight. Because um, wow. for listeners who don't know, I wear glasses um, and contacts. And while that isn't a major problem in my life, it is kind of irritating to like, and I've definitely noticed like lately when I don't wear either thing, I, cause I used to be like, oh, I don't wear either thing, but I'm still kind of like fine, like in my home mm-hmm. and whatever. And I still am, but I'm like, it is really getting 
quite bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and that's so interesting because I, I you've always I wanted classes. Be, yeah, I wonder if I could be genetically engineered to need glasses. Yes, <laughs> to you make absolutely my worse. could be. Um, maybe I would choose that too. Yeah, hair and glasses. <laughs> so that's like probably a major physical change interesting that I would like to have happen um yeah I think I maybe would agree with you like maybe a little like adjustments to my metabolism maybe some kind of adjustment that tells my body you know what you don't need every salty food item in the world um yeah I don't know if like cravings and like food loving and like that whole deal is a genetic mutation or I don't change, think it's but I would... entirely genetically based but I think there probably are some things that could be like tweaked I think yeah um so it's something like that but I would also say something that I don't want that they kind of allude to in the world of this movie is I don't want to know unless it's I don't want to know when I'm dying no that death that. date thing was real bad that's a real bummer that. Yeah. So, I would, because especially when they tell you, oh, you're going to die at 30. Like, I definitely don't want to know. Yeah, that. that was brutal. So, that's a good opportunity to segue into hello, everyone. <laughs> Welcome to See You Next Week in Space. I'm Sarah Walsh here with my sister and co host, Amy Walsh. And, Amy, why don't you tell the good listeners what we're talking about today, though they may have already deduced it? I, well, if they did, good for them because I don't think I would have. Um, we were talking about 1997. Don't really know if it's a hit. Don't know if it's a classic. I had heard of it, but I didn't know what it was. Um, Gattaca. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would necessarily call it a hit. Um, let me just, I need to refresh my memory about the. It's got some like power hitters in it. Yeah. But, um... I mean, the cast is like shockingly um, good. Like in a really surprising way, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, Mm -hmm. So let's see. Um, Oh, no, it did not do well financially. Um, Oh, surprised a little bit. I mean, although I will say, you did write down here what it was released against. Yeah. Like the other movies that were in theaters. And I don't know a lot about those movies and their popularity, but I think... That could have something to do with it, too, in terms of money-making. So the total estimated budget, both on Wikipedia and IMDb, for this movie is about $36 million. That's a lot. Indeed. And the gross that's being reported in both places is only about $12.5 million. So this... Interesting. I'm a little surprised. ...did not perform economically speaking. Um, But also this is a bit fragmented because like on IMDb, for example, they're saying that's also the figure for the US and Canada, but they're also reporting that as the worldwide gross. So it's possible Hmm. that there's actually more money coming in internationally, but that's not being reported. But but probably at best, we can assume that this movie broke even. Um, Yeah. And I, I would be willing to guess that quite a bit of that $36 million maybe was even about marketing because 
Yeah, you had mm. heard of this movie. I have heard of this movie. I'm pretty sure. I don't think I watched it in the theaters. Um, but I do mm. know that I watched it around the time it came out. You know, like, so mm. it was one of those ones that I think was probably, like, if you were alive, you knew it was there kind of thing. Because it would be, like, <laughs> yeah. advertised and it would be on posters and, you know, yeah, bus, the name sides just of buses. sounds familiar, but um, yeah. So, but nonetheless, it's certainly I wouldn't necessarily. I don't think probably anyone would necessarily describe this as a classic. Um, yeah. Okay. Not because it's not good, but I, I, it just hasn't. I don't think it really found its audience wherever that might be. That's fair. Um. Yeah. So the IMDb description of this movie is the following. A genetically inferior man assumes the identity of a superior one in order to pursue his lifelong dream of space travel. Um, okay, I have a quick question for you. And okay. You don't need to go like deep. Sorry, just we don't need to go deep into this because, like, uh, I feel like you could. Um, but do you think, from your perspective, is the um, the suggestion of this movie or the um, the idea of genetic engineering and, like, picking and choosing traits that your children will have, is that the same to you as eugenics? Or what is the difference, do you think? Well, all of the descriptions of this movie on Wikipedia and blah 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 um, all of this refer to eugenics as what okay. is happening here. Um, okay, so that, okay. Now, I'm... I'm not totally convinced that it's entirely that. Um, okay. Because, like, and this is really, I'm sorry, everyone. This is my actual area of expertise <laughs> as a historian. I know, that's so why like, I asked it. Kind but... of annoying. Um, but, like, I would say the world that this movie depicts is inspired by eugenic ideas. Um, mm-hmm. But eugenics... Uh, as we kind of think of it at the moment, is very grounded in a particular moment in time um, that is typically ends, let's say, around 1950. Um, Oh, okay. I didn't know it had a certain time period associated Well, I mean, that's what I mean. Like, I don't, like, I would say, and in fact, I'm involved with professionally um, some different projects about the legacies of eugenics. Um, Mm. and the legacies of eugenics are things like imagining that there is such a thing as a better version of humanity or a better version Mm -hmm. of a person. And, Mm. but what is, what was always the problem for eugenics and what will remain the problem for genetic engineering? Um, because that's part, that's what I would say is a distinction about this movie. Genetic eugenics people wanted to do genetic engineering and Mm -hmm. kind of tried to in some very ham-fisted and ill-informed ways um Mm -hmm. but they never could actually do it um Mm -hmm. and that's also what i would say if you wanted to get nitpicky about this movie like we simply don't know enough about genetics to do the things that are suggested in this movie got it um Mm. so but what always, either thing, and there's, I think, quite a bit of fluidity between the term eugenics and genetic engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, either thing 
really ultimately becomes problematic because yes. what does a better version of humanity mean? Like, um, and that, that's kind of why I asked you this question, like what would, what changes would you make? Because if you asked every person, like, what would you change if you could change your DNA? Every person would answer that question differently, you know, like, right. Um, now there might be some across the board things like I think a lot of people with glasses would say what I said, like about making my eyes. <laughs> yeah, better. totally. And I think probably mm-hmm. a lot of people would say maybe I'd like to be a bit taller, maybe I'd like to be a bit thinner, maybe you know, like all mm-hmm. of that. So I think there's, but just because you want those things, I don't know that that's a better version per se. You know, like, mm-hmm. um, and that's always ultimately the downfall of these various efforts is that, um nobody there is no uniformity of opinion of what constitutes the answer to that question um right and so you know that is where we are I think that's where we will always be regardless of whatever technological proficiency we might get um but yeah I mean I would say I might describe this movie as more about the legacies of eugenics and maybe it's even in a like because we'll talk about when this is supposed to be happening um i might Mm -hmm. almost believe it more if this were happening in an alternative version of earth Uh, yeah where eugenics of the kind of stuff that i do my research on actually sort of worked and and then we kept Uh refining that as we go along. And so like by the time we get to in the alternative timeline, let's say this is supposed to be 2030 or something. Yeah. Um, so in that timeline, that's happening, you know, mm. um, but it, it's certainly not where we are in our time. Yeah. <laughs> um, so also a couple pieces of information, the movie's title is based on the letters of the different nucleobases of DNA. Um, so those are guanine, adenine, thymine, uh, and cytosine. Um, and that's represented by G, A, T, and C. Um, and for those of you who remember high school biology class, uh, <laughs> adenine can only be paired with thymine or thymine. I don't know exactly how to pronounce that. Um, and guanine and cytosine can only be paired with each other. Um, so anyway, they just kind of, I did not recall that. from. Well, I recall that they, I recalled that, that it was pairs, but I couldn't remember which went with which. So I had to look that up. Um, that's fair. So that's where Gattaca comes from. And it's also the name of Hmm. this like space center that is at the kind of center of the story. Um, Hmm. I personally thought it was kind of interesting. Um, a lot of the filming of exteriors, but sometimes interiors as well were done at a variety of different kind of modernist uh, buildings and spaces throughout California. Um, mm-hmm. Cause it has a very, I would say overall the look of this movie is quite particular. Um, mm-hmm. There's a very obvious kind of like vision informing the whole thing. Um, and it is I this feel like so much of like future stuff that they show in movies, even movies that are, 
more realistic future. I would say this is like sort of on a more realistic future side than like, you know, ones where they're wearing like silver jumpsuits. But the future, I feel like they always like to make a very specific choice of a look, you know, like, and I feel like they like future or future is generally depicted as very like stark feeling almost. Sometimes. Yeah. Um, like the one dude's apartment, you know, it's very, oh, yeah, like, very poor concrete. Almost. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, I like, and this movie in particular, I think that maybe also is part of the eugenics element is like, I realized like kind of some, a surprisingly longer amount than I feel like I should have, like what people, the way people are dressed and the way the cars look and stuff is actually really very 1940s, 1950s. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay. I remember the cars. They all look like modern versions, honestly, of like old 1950s cars. Um, hmm. And so like, I was like, okay. So, th- so in a sense, and I'm not sure, because I tried to find out and I can't. Um so it's as if they're like taking the era when eugenics was really popular mm. and like mm-hmm. kind of channeling some of that and then updating it to like yeah. this supposed future that happens, which is, I guess, again, they're not trying to make these claims, but to me, what would make sense is like, this is an alternative version of Timeline. what happened. Yeah. And so that, so that kind of has a parallelism. That's um, because, yeah, a lot of the buildings that they feature also are from that era and have that kind of style of architecture that was popular at the time um, yeah. in it. Um, it's also, I might describe it as a bit of an Instagram movie. And by that, I mean, it always looks like there's a filter on everything. Mm. Um, and I think mm. that is partially because um, they used super 35 millimeter format film which I have learned adds an enlarged layer of grain in um the like the visual rendering um so yeah they're like so it wasn't just like I'm not sure I noticed that well it wasn't just that the lighting sometimes really had an Instagram filter quality to it but there were certain ways where like parts of the I mean this movies and tv uses all the time where like in the foreground is clear and in the background is blurry and like you know, vice versa mm-hmm. and stuff. But there were times where the way some of that stuff looked, I was like, okay. I, I kind of, when I saw that in Wikipedia, I was like, oh, okay. I, I kind of get it. Um, so going back to the issue of kind of the box office non, non-entity-ness of this movie, um, this movie was released in October of 1997. I'm not sure if they hoped it would be seen as some kind of, not Halloween movie exactly, but maybe kind of like a thriller that would fit with the fall feelings of mm-hmm. suspense or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. But it really was no comparison for what was also coming out and was sharing the screens uh, at the time which included I Know What You Did Last Summer, The Devil's Advocate, and Kiss the Girls. I've never seen Kiss the Girls, but I think that's a a Morgan Freeman vehicle. That's like, um, Mm. you know, the kind of stuff that we don't quite see anymore, where it's like a crime thriller thing. And I want to say maybe Mm. Ashley Judd is in that one. 
Um, But, you know, those movies, maybe less so Kiss the Girls, but I know what you did last summer in The Devil's Advocate. Like, those are clearly Halloween movies (laughs) um, that are going to get their, they're going to get butts in the seats for those. Um, Yeah. And this movie is just, like, the audience for this is probably not the audience that's going to see The Devil's Advocate necessarily. Um, yeah. So I think perhaps that's maybe part of the reason why it didn't really perform as maybe one might hope. Um, and in fact, this I just thought was interesting because I didn't know it existed. Um, the it, Here in the United States, we actually have something called the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, which became law on the 21st of May, 2008. Um which allows for a certain amount of genetic testing and data collection from that testing, but forbids mm-hmm. um, any sort of use of that data um, for the purposes of discrimination. Hmm. Well, that's good. Yeah, I had no idea that existed. Um, Me but either. apparently it already does. But, of course, according to this movie, he, uh, Ethan Hawke, who we'll talk about soon... Mm-hmm. Um, says that they have such privacy laws in place in this version of the world, but nobody cares and it's routinely disregarded. Um, You know, I mean, I think it's fair to say having legislation against discrimination clearly doesn't stop it from happening. But if you don't have any legislation at all, then you really have no hope well, then you're just, of doing yeah. anything. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought it was interesting right. that we already have that in this that country is. in place. And so who knows what the future holds, but technically we've already prevented certain kinds of misuses of data for that purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's move to the cast, which is quite a good one, honestly, um, but we actually mm-hmm. don't need to know a lot of different characters because m- the story mostly revolves around, um, I would say, three characters total m- and maybe four. Um, yeah. Wait, did I include? Wait, I didn't. Did I? Wait. <laughs> ah, well, I'll just talk about her in a second. But anyway. Um, yeah. So the main protagonist of this story is a character called Vincent Freeman, played by a 27-year-old Ethan Hawke, um, who we've spoken about on this podcast, so we don't really talk, need to talk much about him now. Um, we okay. talked about him in our predestination episode, where he was oh, man. the future and That's past version past. of himself. <laughs> Literally a blast from the past. Um yeah, oh, yeah, I forgot about that movie. Oof, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that's that. Then we have Irene, uh, played also by a 27-year-old Uma Thurman, um, okay. who we have to do give a special shout-out because she's from Amherst. Um, <laughs> though she, I think in her various interviews, whenever she's been asked about the town, she has nothing very good to say about it because um, she was treated, I guess she was, like, quite bullied as a child. Um, really? It's so funny because I have such a specific memory of one of my teachers, like, loving to talk about how he had her in class. 
Like, it was his biggest claim to fame. Because he was the shop teacher. And he's like, oh, yeah, Uma would be like, I can't remember if he would say, like, she didn't do anything. She never built anything. She would just sit there and whatever. But he loved to talk about her. That's so funny. Um, yeah. So what I didn't fully know until now, um, the reason she was even in Amherst was because her dad was a professor at Am- Amherst College. Um, that makes sense. And in fact, he's like one of the foremost, or at least while he was, I don't imagine he's still working now, but when he was, he was like a top um, scholar of Buddhism. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And so her like life was even by Amherst standards, pretty bohemian sounding um, like her parents. And, and if anyone's unclear, Amherst is full of hippies. <laughs> I know. So this was like soup. And cause like, let's see, she was born in 1970. So she would have been in Amherst, like in the seventies and eighties, which like, you know, hmm. I'm I'm sure there was an element of conservatism there because there's like the the super townies who have been there since time immemorial. But like, uh-huh. I have to imagine that in the 70s and 80s in Amherst, it was pretty like crunchy. Um, <laughs> so this is a kind of crunchy time in the world too. But that's yeah, true. I, I, I'm um, sure you're right. So you know, like, so to me to think of in that context that there was this awkward girl who was still even too weird for Amherst is like hard to really wrap my that head around. Hard to but, but it could be like, if you think about it, first of all, school kids and high school kids right. are terrible. Um, and if she was tall, if she was like, even maybe sometimes people, and this sounds like a little bit like, woe is me, but sometimes when people are like overtly more attractive than other people, they get bullied for that. Well, um, she wasn't, though, because I remember oh. when I found out this information that she had gone, like, I don't even think, because she, she goes to New York to start modeling at 15. So basically. So it's like the middle school. She went to the middle she school. She went to the okay, middle school. And to be fair. Yeah. To be fair, the Amherst Middle School is horrendous. It's a, it's also <laughs> just a bad time of life, like, across the board. That's, I mean, yes, yes, it's not the school's fault. I But yeah. I will say, like, if I could erase that part of my life, I would be fine with that. I mean, I basically have. I've been alive long enough now to where I barely remember (laughs) anything from that time period. But what I do remember is I, when I found out she had gone to our middle school, they have all the old yearbooks in the library, or at least they did. So I looked at an old picture of her, you know, from not a great time of life, eighth grade or something. Um, Yeah, the worst. So eighth grade school picture is not anyone's best day I think we know that um but like you know I looked at the picture and I was like yep she looks ex- I was like I know it's her it looks like oh my her. god I'm looking I'm looking at it right now I I googled it and it says Uma Thurman Amherst Regional Middle School that is hilarious it's it, I think she's cute but like well now I gotta how did this get into the world it's on Pinterest I think um but I literally looked up Uma Thurman Middle School and it's the first image um yeah, I could see. It was, like, a little bit of a gawky age. Like, her teeth. She hadn't really grown into her teeth yet. Like, I get it. But I think she's still cute. Yeah, no, her teeth are not good. I have a mem- See, this is, I think, even a different picture than what I ever saw. Because um, hmm. I remember seeing one where it looked like her hair was dirty. It was greasy. You know, like. Oh. Um, so, anyway, point is, 
<laughs> she didn't look as beautiful as she has become. She was really tall. It, it sounded like she was like six feet tall at like 12 years old, which is Whoa. not easy. Um, especially if you're a girl. And she had really big yeah. feet because, of course, you know, like, um, so she felt, she felt way too much, I would imagine. Like, when I think about myself, it's like, when you're that age, you literally just want to disappear. And she would have been so unable to do that. You know, like, um, that is true. Maybe I take back the idea of being tall in my genetics. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but nonetheless, so she moves to New York city to model at the age of 15 and started getting her first acting roles around 18 and, um, kind of maybe unsurprisingly, but depressingly, these early roles were like, to my mind, highly sexualized sounding things like what what did she um just stuff like like well she's in dangerous liaisons and stuff you know like Mm -hmm. she just plays like an ingenue kind of thing Mm -hmm. um and and i wouldn't necessarily worry about that for some 18 year olds um yeah but the fact that she was already modeling at 15 and had these harder days before that, you know, like something about it made yeah. me kind of like, oh, poor little Uma. I don't think that would have been great. Um, and and let's be real, like with all the stuff that we've learned, you know, not to get too like dark, but all the stuff we've learned about Hollywood and stuff yeah. in the in the years, right? <laughs> the past couple right. of years, like in the years before twenty eighteen, Hollywood really and, sucked. And the, I mean, I think it still does. It's yes. just that stuff is much more on the surface now, and people are much more empowered to be like, hey, this is wrong. I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also was surprised to learn, so she was married to Gary Oldman briefly um, from 1990 to 92. a lot older than her? Yes, he is. Okay, I would have thought, okay. And so that means... And then she was married to Ethan Hawke? I forgot about that. Yeah, well, so that's the thing. So when she was married to Gary Oldman... From this movie? Yes. Oh. It was because of this Hmm. movie. That is cute. I know. I, know I was having a memory of that as I was watching. I was like, I think they were married. I think it was when because of this movie. <laughs> and then I like that's very funny. Yeah. Um. No. When she was married to Gary Oldman, she would have only been twenty when they first got married. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's a bit of a trouble to my mind. But then Gary Oldman. Yeah. <laughs> Come on now, man. I mean, his name is Old Man. Like. I mean, I think he was in. I think he was like sixty when he was born. <laughs> Like, I don't think he was ever young. He's a Benjamin Button type, except just <laughs> yeah. he's not he going old. in reverse. He's just staying old the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Perfect. Um, <laughs> so, yes. So then she and Ethan Hawke meet um, on this movie, and then they are married. Uh, I'm pretty sure they have two kids together. Um, they That's get cute. divorced in 2004. Um I can't remember if either one of them have gotten married subsequently. I'm pretty sure Uma Thurman has not. I can't remember about Ethan Hawke. Hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's I had I hadn't realized that her career was a bit longer than I thought it was. Like so, she, so Dangerous Liaisons. I'm pretty sure comes out in 1988 ish, um, and she's in that. Uh, she also plays Maid Marian in a 1991 Robin Hood movie. Um, Hmm. which didn't seem to get much traction as far as I could tell. Um, 
But Pulp Fiction, so I always thought that was her big thing that happened, and it kind of was. Um, but she had already been featured as like um, a protagonist in a couple of movies by that time, which I didn't know. Um, hmm. So in fact, Pulp Fiction sort of saved her career because it was really starting to stall out by like really? the early 90s. Yeah, like it just wasn't, I mean, who's to say? But my impression is that if that hadn't come along, she probably would have still kept doing some stuff. Um, but she might have had to wait quite a bit longer to then have kind of like the career we think of her having now. Um, Interesting. Yes, because like after that is when like later, I want to say Kill Bill come, maybe the first one is like 2000-ish or something. Um, maybe a little bit later than that. And then, um, so that really, that really kind of set her, I would say, onto her current plateau of stardom um and then most recently she's oh wait hold on we're, we're still talking about her right yeah <laughs> still... wait i just oh, sorry i just <laughs> i just had a stroke but i also are just, you okay um... do we need to yeah. stop recording <laughs> <laughs> no i just like stuttered but um i looked up her wikipedia and first of all it's funny to me how much they talk about amherst because I do feel like that's like people from Amherst wanting everyone to know. Yeah, like they've like, added that to the page. Yeah, it's like a little bit like I don't I don't know that we ever like read where people went to middle school all the time. But like then it says she attended and the, for the third time it says she attended Amherst Public Schools. And then it says in the eighth grade and I'm assuming in Amherst, she discovered her love of acting. Talent scouts noticed her performance as Abigail in a production of The Crucible, which to me is so funny. What? Um, and also makes me pissed because I was in shows at the middle school. How come I wasn't? There's no way these are. There's no way agents are coming to musical this to productions at Amherst Regional. Like, and this literally says. She, Talent scouts noticed her performance of Abigail in The Crucible and offered her a chance to act professionally. I don't know. Oh, but maybe it was at this. This makes sense because it says she attended Northfield. Um, oh. And maybe they saw her there. Yeah. That might be. That's because that was like a fancy dance uh, private, private school. school so. Yeah. Anyway, that was. I just thought that was funny. They noticed her in The Crucible. <laughs> that is very weird indeed. Um, so... Uh, what was I about to say? Oh, yeah. But more recently, I would say maybe like kind of over the past four or five years, rather than doing movies, she's been in a lot of what appeared to me to be like kind of what we have now, those like limited prestige TV series kind of things. Mm. Um, she's been in a bunch of those. Um, mm. So, you know, I think probably she's a, akin to what we always say seems like a good balance of like being famous and also having like a life that is relatively normal um because yeah. I really feel like she could be someone that if she puts on a baseball cap and some sweats I think she might get left alone almost anywhere that's possible although you mentioned about although her height and stuff could right you know does make her stand out a bit but, like, I don't, I mean, admittedly, I'm not looking at many, like, celebrity gossip anything. Um, but yeah. I just feel like 
I don't know a lot about her, right? Like, she's not one of those people who's like, and I'm well, gallivanting who's... here, and I'm like... Yeah, well, she's, yes, she's not that type, and she's not the ones that are necessarily going to be pursued by the paparazzi a whole bunch, probably, and she probably... I could definitely see her as one who doesn't live in L.A., like, um, you know, lives somewhere more earthy crunchy. Um, yeah. And, you know, I could, I could definitely see that, um, but... Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I recognize people in New York that are actors all the time, and I have to pretend I don't recognize them. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, because yes. that's how you do it in New York. You are not cool if you say something, usually. So you have to, like... So basically, if you want to be famous in New York and left alone... You can do that. You can do it. Yeah. So live in New York, not L.A. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and the thing is, is like, would I, I mean, I certainly view her as having like the life that I imagine the uber wealthy have, you know, like yeah, beautiful homes, cool trips, like never having to touch laundry ever again, you know, like that sort of thing. <laughs> oh, that's the life. Let me tell you, that would be okay. Okay. Here, wait. Here's my genetic thing. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if it's genetic. It's like something it's I need a, like a genetic chip where I don't mind doing chores or something <laughs> like that. Like that I enjoy cleaning or something along those lines. Yeah. Like something that took the monotony out of monotonous tasks. Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah. Well, anyway. I mean, it, none of this exists, but sure. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, that's what I imagine her life is like. And yeah, probably. That to me is like the greatest thing of all. It's like I can do these movies and I can do this stuff and when I'm in the context of that, people know who I am and whatever. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I don't want to engage in that, then I go to my beautiful home, hang out with my kids or my partner or whoever and yeah. or by myself, whatever I want because I am just I can do literally anything I want because I have every, every opportunity and I have all money and everything. <laughs> yeah. It sounds pretty sweet. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Um, I mean, if there were a well, way. If you need someone to like <laughs> yeah. be you. Like, I don't even mind chores that much. But like, if I could employ someone, like literally this is how much I would like to live a certain kind of life where as soon as I am done consuming food off of a plate oh god I want that (laughs) plate to be like taken away from me and I never have to think about it again until I get a new clean plate put new food on okay that's your that is a servant that you're talking (laughs) about um I mean a little bit it's a little much but I get it yeah of course I mean yeah it's it's the (laughs) we've talked about this in other episodes but if you could get like a robot to do that stuff and like maybe somehow feel better about it that it's like a robot but but yeah absolutely because like the point weirdly I sort of resent having to carry my dish to the sink I don't know why that's so, but I actively hate it. Like, and it's the, it's the kind of thing where, like, if I'm, like, 
watching a show. I'm mostly watching a show anytime I'm eating something. So I'm like of eating course. my lunch. What else would you do while you're eating? Like talk to someone? Yeah. Gross. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you suggest that? <laughs> Ew, what are you going to, like, look at another person and, like, talk to them while you're eating? No. no refuse. Refuse. Um, but, like, so I'll be, so that's the thing is, like, my emotional range is so all over the place. Because to me, there's nothing better than sitting down in front of your television, uh, watching a thing you've just selected. It's starting up, and you're starting to eat your sandwich. And then... <laughs> And then, horror of horrors, your sandwich is gone. And the thing you're watching is probably still going. And then you put down your plate away from you, like on a coffee table, on the floor, wherever is like convenient. But then, while you're watching the thing, you know that plate is just sitting there waiting for you to do something about it. And it drives me actively crazy. (laughs) Wow, wow, wow. This is so interesting because I think this is like a very niche you problem. Probably. <laughs> because I I get it to a point. I don't think the act of the empty plate bothers me in the sense of like, oh, now I have to do something with this plate. It's more like, ugh, my food is gone. <laughs> mm, I think that's like, maybe the more normal reaction. Yeah, but... That is so funny. It might also be like you need to get a house where the kitchen is closer. I don't, I mean, I already live in a pretty compact place. I don't know how it could get much closer (laughs) than it is. I guess. Or that's just so funny. I like that one particular, that would, that one particular task of like bringing a plate to the kitchen is a funny task to resent, in my opinion. I know, because it's so nothing. It takes, Two seconds, and I still. It's like the shortest. It's like the shortest chore there could be. Um, I resent laundry. I resent cleaning. Well, laundry, I guess, because I'm going to say cleaning sheets. But like, I resent laundry because it takes forever and it's nonstop and never ending. I resent, you know, bathroom cleaning because same thing. It's like never ending. It doesn't make any difference. It still looks dirty. Well, that's (laughs) your bathroom. That's a that's my bathroom bathroom problem. That's a me problem. Um, so it's just, that's a very funny one that you would want, like, a, someone to come. I think you could find someone who would come and take dirty plates for you. Just put into Craigslist, please searching for plate retriever. (laughs) Um, and then, like, put an asterisk on there, like, this is definitely not a weird sex thing. Please don't think it. This is just, I literally (laughs) want you, if you see my plate drop down onto a thing and it's take it away from me we'll be picking it up <laughs> yeah. oh my god uh, then you have to have like someone living in your space and that's not good i know i know there's no i will never find a way out of this problem i don't <laughs> that um, is so funny so you need to create oh my god this i'm gonna stop after this you need like to build yourself like a dumb waiter or something <laughs> that can like lift it up a little conveyor belt like, that just like, yeah like a little contraption <laughs> That just like takes it into the kitchen for you. <laughs> um, someday, maybe we'll see. Um, so the final character that we need to know about is Jerome Eugene Morrow, played by twenty-five-year-old Jude Law. Um, 
Hmm. He started out as a stage actor. I mean, he's British. Um, yeah. Starts out on the stage and then moves into movie stuff pretty quickly. Um, though this was his first non-indie movie. Like, this was kind of his first mainstream really? thing. Yes. Hmm. Oh. Um, I know this is not maybe nice because but i found it intriguing because it seemed for some reason i was really puzzled by this he has five children are they all with sienna miller none with sienna miller actually as far as i could tell oh really yeah they were only together a brief time um i'm pretty sure he he had he made some mistakes i'm pretty sure he had four kids with one lady and one kid with his most recent uh, partner I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Got the breakdown it. of the situation um Got but it. I was just like five kids what a lot why <laughs> <laughs> he has six according to this thing I'm looking at but oh really maybe because I was getting that yeah, off IMDB so maybe that was dated information sometimes Wikipedia, their bios aren't Wikipedia always up to date six. Mm, Wikipedia says six, but uh, even more. Why? That's crazy. Why would you do I that in this day and age? I don't know. Like, I mean, I do know that rich people don't have to think about kids in quite the same way as most everyone else does. Um, but I'm still like, yeah. This I- says in September 2020 he had his sixth kid, so that might that just might be updated. A major puzzlement to me. Um, I just, I, under no circum, I mean, obviously even having one is a puzzlement to me, but like six just seems like that's like telling to have a new, no, that's way too many. And to have a new one, he's 49 years old. He had a new one two years ago, a year and a half ago. Yeah. That's yeah. No, thank you, sir. No. And like, cause that's the kind of thing that like, cause I think what I was picking up from his IMDb bio was like, oh, he's one of these people that once you've dated him for about two years, he starts angling for a child. <laughs> Yikes. And, and then that's when I say, hey, I got to go, Jude Law. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, grow up. You don't need to impregnate every woman that you date. Like, come on. Like, I know. I know that's it's annoying. maybe a nice experience. Cute, but that's annoying. But come on. Um, <laughs> is it, though? Well, for him, I'm sure it is. Clearly, for him, yeah, it's well. great. <laughs> I don't know about for no. these women. Um, but anyway, going on. Um, he, so he's in this movie. This is, I think, probably his stepping stone into other things because a couple years later, he's in The Talented Mr. Ripley, which I think is probably what I would characterize as his breakout role. Um, mm. And then he goes on to be in a series of kind of serious things like road to perdition and cold mountain um he's in one of your truly favorite films <laughs> the holiday it's his best role i don't know why i didn't know that first <laughs> um and more recently as he has become this more middle-aged man uh he has played a young Dumble- dumbledore in the fantastic beasts movies ah. um and then the thing i'm actually kind of i would be curious to see this there's um a Peter Pan movie coming out and he's playing Captain hmm. Hook and I could kind of see him as a good Captain Hook. Is it all British people? I don't know. I didn't look closely at it. 
That is cute. I like that. I I could see him as that. Yeah, because I feel like um, what I I like people who are like quote unquote heartthrobs who then get to like get comfortable playing the villain. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, and also what I was gonna say is like I like to see similarly like because Captain Hook, if I mean we'll see how he go- does it, but like I think of Captain Hook as like fanciful and whimsical mm-hmm. and also kind of a bit of an oaf. Um, and so it is like, that's the whole thing is like quite often people who are cast into the leading man slash heartthrob role. Um, I don't know if it is that they as themselves take themselves too seriously, or if it's just like the industry is like, we just can't see you as anything yeah. but this. Um but that is why... Well, probably a little of both, no? If perhaps. someone keeps telling you over and over, this is how I see you, you might start to, like, internalize that. Yeah. But I, f- I could, like, I, there's a whimsy to Jude Law that I think yeah. he can bring... That, so I'm like, I would be curious to see what he could do yeah. in that context. And I bet he looks great in a frilly shirt. Well, he's British. Of course he does. <laughs> That's the only kind of shirts they wear. <laughs> As soon as you get off, you like land in London at Heathrow and they're immediately issuing you your pirate garb. They're like, this is all, we've only ever worn this. We've never worn anything but this. You must. I mean, as soon as, yeah, as soon as you get off the plane, you have to dress like Hamlet. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) I mean, Hamlet isn't a pirate. I know, but I'm just saying, like, I was just thinking, like, Shakespeare era. Like, that's very British to me. That's even further back. Um, but I either know, way, yes, you have to, as <laughs> soon as you, as soon as you come in on your horse and carriage to the city of London, yep. you're like cl- going yep. over London Bridge and they're like, ah, yes, my lady, my lord, here is your doublet. You must wear this. Yep. Your doublet and your card piece. Here you are. Exactly. <laughs> is that not right? I've not been to London, but I... And if that's not the case, I'm going to be disappointed when I go. It's it's just a massive reenactor's bonanza. That's what <gasps> it is. I would love that. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I'm not sure you would. Um, hmm. But so these are really the, the only people we need to know for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some interesting um, supporting roles. So... There's Gore Vidal, plays the director of the space program. Um, Blair Underwood has a very brief appearance as the geneticist. Um, Ernest Borgnine is a janitor at the Space Center, and we've talked about him. Um, Mm -hmm. We have Tony Shalhoub, as we'll see. He's kind of the man who connects Vincent and Jerome. Um, And then there's uh, another recurring character throughout this movie, that's the doctor that's um, kind of often doing the tests on Vincent. Mm. Um, and that's a guy named Xander Berkeley, who I recognized quite a bit, but I, I haven't done really? any digging about, like, from where. Um, mm, I didn't recognize him. Yeah, I, I recognized his face immediately, but I was like, I, I couldn't tell you exactly where from, but um, hmm. I know it. And then the guy I forgot to look up <clears throat> is... Yeah, because it's not even listed on the thing. Who plays Anton? Like, oh. the brother. 
I like the uh, grown up version. Yeah. I didn't on. recognize him. Oh, um, okay. Somebody named Lauren Dean. Um, I've not heard of him. Anyway, w- let us soldier on. Because uh, this brother thing will become useful. Will be a whole thing in a second. Um, because what what I think maybe we'll we'll save whether you liked this till the end. But one of the things that I thought you could maybe enjoy about this movie is that the the genetic engineering is important to the story, but the story isn't about genetic engineering. The story is actually about a murder mystery. Right, which I. Which I appreciated because, okay, it's funny because I, the description, I feel like even on Netflix was a little misleading because it was talking about this, this space thing he wants to go on. So I was expecting the story to mainly take place in space after our like initial intro. And then when I realized the direction it was going, I was happy. <laughs> That we were staying on Earth and we were just trying to figure out a murder. Yes. Again, going into this overall, I would say, kind of like inspiration of the 1940s and 1950s. This has kind of a noirish quality to the story. Um, mm-hmm. We open up, though, just to make sure that we do understand this is a science fiction movie. Um, we open up with two title cards. Um, the first from Ecclesiastes, um, we have the quote, consider God's handiwork who can straighten what he hath made crooked. Um, in other words, don't mess with God's creations. They are perfect as they are. They're as God intended them to be. Then we get another one. Um, actually I should look up who this guy Willard Galen is. I meant to before, but then I forget. Um, let's see who this doofus is. This doofus. Um, um, I didn't love the God quotes in the beginning, but I forgive it. So Willard Galen is a, um, clinical psychologist, um, with an area of expertise basically in bioethics, Um, Mm -hmm. and he's associated with, um, an independent research institute focused on bioethics, um, which, you know, based on what he said in this quote makes me a bit concerned, especially an independent (laughs) research organization to me has various possibilities for nefariousness. But so we have this one quote that we begin with, which is messing with God's creations Um, is ill-informed and ill-advised. Then we have this next one that says, I not only think we will tamper with Mother Nature, I think Mother wants us to. Now, anytime an adult man says the word Mother, I don't like it. Um, (laughs) So that's already a problem for me personally with that. Um, But I think it's also um, perhaps a bit of a flippant disregard of like, what like what I think is a, a fair and serious question to ask, which is like, sure, maybe we can fuss with these aspects of nature, but should we be doing that? Um, yeah. You know, and, and I don't know that what he said was specifically in reference to genetic engineering. Um, but I think because we already are doing quite a bit of genetic engineering in the realm of agriculture, 
Um, that's mm-hmm. what GMO stuff right. stands for, right? Um, mm-hmm. So it's already here in various ways. And, and to that extent, some people might argue we have been genetically modified if and when we eat genetically modified foods, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, but like, I don't know, this is one of these things that is like such a bigger issue than needs to be discussed on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think it's one thing to like make alterations so that, uh, corn can grow in various different types of conditions or that rice can be more, more nutritious or whatever. Um, I think it's a different set of questions and it's like, how might we apply what we've learned about genetic modification to human beings? Um, Mm -hmm. and, And particularly, like, just because we have certain technologies or tools doesn't mean we're actually good at using them. So right. that's the other thing to be mindful of, I suppose. But nonetheless, yeah. this is how we open up onto this movie. And then we get the credits, opening credits, which start with this very big close-up on objects that at first it's unclear what they are, but then it's revealed that they're nail clippings and hair and skin bits. Oh and things yeah um like that and then it's kind of like we start with this super duper close-up and then we sort of fade into watching ethan hawk shaving and showering and scrubbing himself very vigorously um and it and i keep referring to this thing that's gonna appear a number of times as a shower i'm not sure that it is a shower exactly yeah um uh-huh it's but it is like a little box where he's like scrubbing himself down very hard and then we see him get out of that box shut the door and then like press a button and then flames happen and so like you know we're like what's going on what is this world we're in then things get even weirder because we watch Ethan Hawke go to a refrigerator and he takes out a bag of pee from it and like straps the pee bag onto his thigh. Um, and then we watch him put on fake fingertips with a little tiny drop yep. of blood in them. And so, like, already there's probably some questions emerging. <laughs> For the audience watching this, yeah. Um, did do you remember if you had any questions at this point, or were you just taking? I it mean, on? I think I, I think I was a little like WTF. Okay, okay, we're doing something weird in the future. Yeah. Um, I guess maybe I didn't know we were in the future yet, but um, I was like, am I seeing this right? Is that a pee bag on his leg? Did he just paint on a new fingertip? I okay. Yeah. So then. We follow him to this office building, which turn, which we will learn is called Gattaca. Um, and we see him going up the escalator, and then we get another little um, title card that says, one of our favorites, the not-too-distant future. So, don't know I exactly mean, okay. when that is. <laughs> I mean, I... I... <laughs> I appreciate that they don't want to commit to saying anything and then being labeled as like 
this movie could never happen. Right. So they don't want to put a date on it. Yes, because so we fair. have talked about how that has sunk other movies for yeah. us in the past. Yeah, but it does also, to me, like, prove, like, what we're about to talk about. Like, we actually have no effing idea if this is possible, so we're not going to give you a date. No. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. we're not even going to commit to... Because even, like, with something like Back to the Future, I think, arguably, we haven't done that. <laughs> as far as I we mean, know. I mean, not arguably. We haven't. We haven't. <laughs> yeah. But it's still regarded as a very good movie and good movie series, even though it was very specific about dates. And it gave yeah. us real dates that were like, I, I don't know. It's, kinda, it's a little bit funny to me when movies are noncommittal about the timeline. Yeah. Well, I guess because in that movie, the only real thing that really mattered was that there was one time machine in the world of anything like yeah. and so I guess yeah. from that anything could spring whereas this is like a different kind of landscape um so we we get some answers pretty quickly because we see Ethan Hawke like going up an escalator and then he's part of this mass of people who are accessing their office by giving a pinprick of blood which identifies them so it's diff- so it works like a key fob but it's your blood um and then we get some shots of him working at whatever place this is we still don't know what it is um but he's also as he's working at his computer he regularly has this little like tiny vacuum that he like a hand held super tiny vacuum that mm-hmm. he's using to suck up um, and clean up his keyboard. You know what? I don't think I didn't realize until re- you reminded me right now why he was doing that. Yeah. So we I, I at the time at the you don't it. know what the purpose yeah. of that is, and so then his boss, played by Gore Vidal, wanders over as he's doing this, and he's like, "Oh, you know, Vincent, or no, he doesn't call him Vincent. He says Jerome. Um, <laughs> you know, you always are so clean." And, you know, and he doesn't really say it in an accusatory fashion, but he does say it maybe in like a sort of curious way of like, maybe if you were trying to tread lightly with a coworker who seemed like a germaphobe or something. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. And uh, Jerome answers that like, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness, you know, like, so he's just, he kind of, it all seems mostly normal at this point. Um, And then we learn through this interchange that Jerome has been selected for the next mission to Titan. Um, Titan is a moon, so we know that's real. Mm, okay. um, All right, I didn't know that. And uh, so, so far, everything seems basically normal. But then as soon basically. <laughs> as the director leaves, uh, we see Jerome go into his desk drawer, and he pulls out, like, a little tiny vial... Mm-hmm. And then he starts dumping it over the keyboard that he's just cleaned. Um, and he takes a, a hair from a, the vial, as, or like I, maybe there are two vials, I can't remember, but then he takes a hair yeah, and he places it very carefully in the comb that is stored in his desk drawer. And yeah. so you're like, okay... This is weird. WTF. Don't know what's happening. 
Yeah. Cut to, then we're in this um, doctor's office, which, though it's not totally clear at this moment, this doctor's office is on premises at Gattaca. Um, okay. And I guess the point here is that because Jerome has been selected for this space mission, they're doing a lot of tests on him in anticipation of that mission. So um, he has to go and get his urine tested. Um, and then we have one of the stranger moments in this movie. Um, <laughs> possibly the strangest, because this movie isn't really strange in some of the ways that other movies we've watched are. Um, so mm -hmm. in, in this world... When you do a urine test, and maybe this is also true if you are in kind of like a high security job. I don't really know. Um, you do a urine test in front of the person. Yeah, you have to pee into the cup while someone else is looking at your penis peeing into the cup. Okay, I have a question. Here's my first question. And I didn't have it when I was watching, but then thinking about it going back, I'm curious. Although we haven't quite get gotten there, but I don't want to... Yeah, go ahead. Just, just say it. Would the doctor watching him literally piss and, and mind you, inappropriately discussing his junk? Yes. Um, Which, don't worry, everyone, we will talk about the doctor talking about his junk in just a sec. Oh, yippee. Um, <laughs> <laughs> would he not have noticed, or did I not understand... Is he literally sticking a tube in his urethra to pee out of his real self? No. No, I don't think it's that. I think that there's got to be some kind of sleight of hand at play. I guess so, because I would have thought that the doctor staring at him, looking at his junk, would have noticed a tube. Yeah. Yes, I think that's true as well. Because in my mind, and I, I don't... I guess it's small potatoes in the world of this movie, but it, it yeah. just seems like No, because like in my be mind, what thing. I have envisioned of how this works is, like, you affix a pee bag to your inner thigh. Then mm -hmm. you um, have some sort of, like, little tube that yeah. goes up from the pee bag. And I think we maybe have even <laughs> seen that when we see the pee bags hanging by themselves. Um, and yeah, the there little, is a tube of some kind. And the little tube you would also tape such that it would be maybe like underneath your penis. Oh, underneath. Okay, okay, okay. Okay. I was picturing it on the side for some reason. Okay. And then. That makes sense. And then. But maybe, how would you squeeze it or like get it to come and, out? Well, that's the thing. I think there's got to be some sort of like wit, like somehow like you can turn something or you can change something with pressure it on. <laughs> that would make That's, it this come out and make it I don't I don't know though I also am now realizing I don't know enough about peeing with a penis to <laughs> adequately okay, answer well then, this question well then I guess I guess we won't we won't investigate further because the truth is it sounds horrible all of it yes I mean a lot of what Vincent does is horrible. Like to imagine yeah, and, doing and gross, to be and, like, able pretty gross. to be able to live this life. But we're not quite there yet. Yeah. But um Yeah. So he's peeing in a cup in front of this man. 
And then the doctor starts complimenting him on his penis um, quite a lot. Really inappropriately. Like, really inappropriately. Does not let the subject drop. Um, Like, I, I don't know, again, because I don't know what it's like to have a penis, and I don't know what men are like in this way. But I feel like if I did have a penis, and if I was, like, at the urinal or wherever... Um, <laughs> wherever you were whipping where, it out. Yeah, wherever somebody else who also had a penis was had a, the opportunity to see mine. Um, <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't love it <laughs> if they were really, like, commenting on it. That's just me. Like, especially yeah, no, I think it, in the, like, here's my thing. If you want to compliment someone's genitalia, it can only ever be considered appropriate in the context of, like, having sex with that person. That is the only time yeah, and, well, it might be okay. In a consensual, yes. yeah, in a consensual thing where someone says, maybe it's not even sexual, I suppose, but this would be a weird scenario, but it could happen. If someone was like, I am going to show you my genitals. Do you consent to that? Yes, I do. Please show them to me. Well, oh, wow, right, because, like, what if... <laughs> What if, yes, I could see a situation where the person pitching this idea is like, I'm worried they look weird. Can you yeah. look at them and tell me what you I think? I mean, that's a super strange, like, <laughs> intimate thing to do with somebody. But, like, hey, if that's what you need and if that person's consenting, like, yes, I will I will analyze for you. And yeah. this is the analysis. And I suppose you could say, like, if the doctor was being medical about it, well, it that's the other thing procedure. I was realizing as well is like doctors in particular should not tell you anything about your body's attractiveness. They should only right. ever tell you about your body's function or dysfunction. Like that's absolutely because what I mean, if you think about it in another, like, okay, this is too. Yeah, like if know. my gynecologist told me that my vagina no that would be well it, even in the context of this movie if like if that had been a a woman or somebody not with a penis i guess and someone was commenting a male doctor was saying wow that's a lovely um vag you got there say it <laughs> I was trying to think of a word that I could like disguise it with, but like, yeah, like, D'Angela, that would be, be D'Angela, or like, yeah, anything, any other type of euphemism, like that would be a horrible, yeah, that would be considered rapey, that would be considered oh. assault, uh, that would be considered harassment, like, yes, that's not okay, yes. In this world, though, um. The doctor says this quite a bit and then goes on to say, I wrote this down because I thought it was so weird. He <laughs> says, I don't know why my folks didn't order me one like that. And I'm like, yes. Um, wow. Well, and here's the other. Here's what. Here's what. Here's what. If <laughs> we were talking about our genetic whatever we wanted or what we would want. Let me tell you how my genitals wouldn't come into my mind at all in terms of, like, what should we order? <laughs> should it look like this? Like, no. I don't that, want my like, parents knowing that. No. You order, like, what are you, ordering a dick? Ordering? Like, that's disgusting. What's going on? Um, that's too much. Yeah. That's too much control. And also, 
interesting in the context of what we learn about this that apparently, I don't know what this says about the movie as a whole, but they needed to apparently include this, that sometimes genetic engineering doesn't always get it right. Wait, when did they say that? Well, because we learn that Ethan Hawke hasn't been genetically engineered and yet also apparently has this, like, truly excellent penis. <laughs> oh, I have, so, I have so many things I could say, and we'll just move on. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, no need to further comment on that. Yeah, we've um, probably talked about this um, more than too much. is fair. <laughs> um, but so the urine test completed... We finally, because up until this point, we actually don't know what Ethan Hawke's character's name is at this point, but we learn that he's identified as a result of his urine test as Jerome Morrow. And I had to pause the movie to see this, but the picture that comes up is very clearly not him. Yes, that, this bugged me the entire movie. Is that it? That's it. Okay. <laughs> um, well, what, yes, it gets strange, and there is a vague throwaway line that Tony Shalhoub a- has about why that's fine. Um, oh, why? What does he say? Uh, well, we'll get there. Oh. Um, so then we have um, Jerome and uh, Irene's first interaction, at least according to this movie. Uh, she finds mm-hmm. him watching space launches and she's kind of wondering, well, she's not wondering, but she says, like, you watch each one of these launches, aren't you kind of, like, used to them by now? Um, and he mm-hmm. he doesn't really have a response to that. Um, and then we get this quite long uh, voiceover slash flashback section. Um where uh, we learn that, first of all, Jerome has been selected to go on a one-year mission to Titan, and that part of the reason he's able to do that is because he has a, quote, genetic quotient second to none, that effectively he has been, um, like, that his DNA and genetic profile is, like, perfectly suited to this pursuit that he's about to undergo. But then the voiceover reveals that he is not Jerome Morrow. We do... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Then we cut to a flashback where we start by learning that um, Ethan Hawke, who we still don't know what his name is at this point, was conceived in the back of a car at a beach um, and that his parents were so in love at the time of his conception that they decided that they didn't want to do any genetic engineering, any sort of intervention. And so... What I don't get about that is, what does that have to do with being in love? Um, well, I think... That they, like, need... I don't get it. I think it's just, like, the story wanted to give us a reason why they would opt not to in what is clearly a world where choosing not to is kind of a big deal. Yeah. So that that was the thing. Is like they like their love okay. somehow 
I don't know, for lack of a better way to say it, clouded their judgment. And then here we are. So when we get to uh, this character's birth, um, the baby's born, and because this matters so much in this world, we do a genetic test immediately upon uh, delivery. But my question is, why don't we do this in utero? Like, yeah, um, I'm not that seems like a bit of a hole in the logic of this movie. But nonetheless, um, there's a readout that happens immediately. Oh, I should also say the the person playing the nurse delivering the baby is Maya Rudolph. It oh, doesn't have what? any lines, but it's her. Oh, my God. I did not notice that. I didn't either. I only saw it once I saw the IMDb like cast list. That's hilarious. So, but it's not even her who reads these lines. It's a different lady. And so there's this printout of what's going to happen as a result of this blood test. And uh, we get that there's a 60% probability that this child will develop some kind of a neurological condition. There's a 42% probability that they'll develop manic depression. There's an 89% probability that they will develop ADHD. Um... And then there is the real dong buster um, that this particular (laughs) child has a 99% probability of developing a heart disorder and correspondingly has a life expectancy of 30.2 years. That is not great. It is not great. Um, Yeah, and I think I mean, you kind of alluded to this before. I think um, it's one thing to be told the the probability of these various conditions because maybe that's, like, helping you prepare for some possible eventuality. But I think mm-hmm. telling people their life expectancy seems like a bad choice. Yeah, I hate that part of it, as I said. I think that part could fully go away. That's unnecessary information. Yeah. <laughs> then, In my opinion. Then we get a very meaningful moment where the dad gets this look on his face of like kind of the cold realization of what has happened. And the mom Mm -hmm. wants to name this child Anton, which is clearly the father's name. But the dad is like, no, call him Vincent Anton. So like, um, as the voiceover indicates, uh, this Vincent was never good enough for his father's name. Um, mm-hmm. then we cut to some time later, the kid that they've got maybe looks about three or something. Um, and his parents have become very afraid for this child, um, and kind of treat Vincent like he's like, you know, very delicate. And I, I mean, I feel like this would probably be true. Cause I think in this day and age, you can, if you've got a serious heart condition or any kind of um what is the word like a genetic predisposition to certain kinds of things um or any kind of congenital issue that emerges um I think it's probably Mm -hmm. true that your parents do kind of treat you like you're a porcelain doll or something you know probably Um, at least at least yeah but in this world Uh, What also seems to happen is that um, because Vincent is not 
genetically engineered and and also has this heart condition he basically can't exist in the world um and i i should also say this heart condition thing is a problem in the context of space travel yeah um and it is already standard practice that if you have certain kinds of situations you are not permitted to do things like this like because yeah because not because really we're being discriminatory against you although maybe you could say that it's because if you suffer some kind of episode in a tin can in space you're fucked fucked, but you are endangering the lives of everyone else who is there yeah like totally and you know as (laughs) as we've mentioned on this podcast many times Space is problematic enough. Yes. Even when you are 100% healthy, everything's going, even the way that it should, it's hard enough. Right. If you present a space problem (laughs) to the rest of your team, that is totally avoidable. All of that. Totally avoidable space problem, which is someone having a heart attack on this ship. Like, yeah. Um, and that is one of the things that's pointed out on the Wikipedia page. They're like, this is not really about discrimination because the real issue is this heart condition that he's hiding from them. (laughs) Yeah. Um, so, uh, we then come to the geneticist's office. Um, this is where Blair Underwood appears briefly. Um, and we also, this very first kid who they've got playing young Ethan Hawke, I thought it looked surprisingly like Ethan Hawke. I was like, I almost, mm. and that's what first got me wondering. I was like, wait, were he and Uma Thurman already married at this point? Is that <laughs> his kid? kid? <laughs> like, it looked so much like cute. him. Um, but so anyway, basically what this scene is about is that his parents have regretted the fact that they did not so genetically engineer him. So that his brother is going to be different from this. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought what was... And, okay, here's, here's my next hot take. I think if, as a parent, if you make that choice with your first child or a child, you need to follow through on the rest. Sure. Personally. Yeah. Because I think, obviously, what happens in this movie will happen. Yeah. So... Um, what I thought was interesting is like, so they sit down with the geneticist and he's like, okay, so I already see here that you've selected that you have a son and they're like, yeah, we want a brother for Vincent. And he's like, okay. And he's like, some other details. Um, you want him to have dark hair, uh, dark eyes. And then he's like, fair skin. And he gives them a little smirk because of course Blair Underwood is black and his parents are white. And, um, you know, of course, like, I was like, well, technically, yeah, I guess that's what genetic engineering could do. Like, presumably, you could pick any skin color you wanted for your kid. Um, Well, I think that's where some of the the issues may lie, because we could effectively, if, if we got to a point where everyone was doing this, we could effectively, like quote-unquote weed out right diversity right this isn't how that this movie doesn't portray that because it does show people of color existing 
Um, yeah, and it doesn't go quite there. It doesn't really yeah. go that deep with it, but... Um, but, yeah, and I also like the smirk that Blair Underwood gives when he says fair skin, because I'm like, what he wants to say is you want, like, white why are you saying fair? Yes. Your kid is white. That's what yeah. you want. And yeah. of course you would, you're both white. Like, sure. Um, <laughs> but I thought it was also interesting in the context of what he goes on to say about what can be removed or modified in this genetic engineering thing, because Blair Underwood then also says like, uh, so we've already screened out for baldness and obesity and alcoholism, like these things that, um have are like they're not deal breakers but it is like socially I forget the phrase he uses but it's something like um like socially stigmatized or something like that you know like Mm -hmm. um so it's like that's just clearing the way we just kind of automatically do that because all the parents actually Mm -hmm. ever say is that we want it to be a boy and we want it to sort of look like us like that's pretty much the only thing they care about and in fact Um, Blair Underwood goes on to add even more things that they can take away, um, or like kind of weed out of this new child. And the parents, especially the mom kind of pauses on this for a second. And she's like, well, we don't want to like, kind of take away every possibility of, um, chance or happenstance or whatever like we just want to make sure that this child has like kind of the best opportunities and I mean they don't say it but it's like in contrast to this kid that we've really saddled with everything that sucks you know like um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I thought that was interesting because basically the doctor is like anything that we can improve we should improve and there's still plenty of room for spontaneity or whatever but if you're Like, basically, we have this whole panel of things we can control. And most of what it's about Mm -hmm. is taking qualities away. It's not adding qualities. Um, Yeah. um, But in this context, the the framing of that has changed to be, as at least the way it seems anyway, you can't, like, necessarily, although there's, maybe this isn't even true, you can't necessarily say to these people, I want my kid to be good looking. I want my kid to be extra smart or extra kind or extra like that doesn't seem available. But we can mm-hmm. take away these, you know, quote unquote, unwanted things. Yeah, we can take that away. Right. Yeah. And I guess I think he mm-hmm. maybe also ind- indicates that like certain types of illness can be prevented against and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um so that's so that's what they opt into for their second son. Mm-hmm. By the time then we cut to I think it looks like maybe I think they say that um Vincent is 10 and Anton is 8 in this next segment. Um Anton mm-hmm. is already taller than 10-year-old Vincent. He's stronger. Mm-hmm. Um and this is where we get this thing where the brothers um have developed this like Sibling rivalry that probably happens in a lot of ways, but specifically is manifested in these swims way out to sea. Um, yeah. Where... Which is a little random, but okay. I mean, they're kids, who knows. Um, but they try and swim out as far as they can, and Vincent always is the loser. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also... It's like from this childhood moment that Vincent 
um, kinds of falls in love with space. And I think the implication mm -hmm. is here that like, because he was always the weak kid, he develops like his intellect, right? Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so he gets really into space. So then we cut again to probably he looks maybe like he's this next actor who plays young Vincent looks like maybe they're like 17 or 18 years old and mm -hmm. he's gotten really into space even more and um, his parents are like have realistic expectations. You'll never get into a space program because there's this thing. Now we get introduced to the term genoism, which is basically like racism based specifically on genetics mm. um though mm -hmm. one could argue that is already what racism is but not, let's just yeah well <laughs> forge yeah. ahead um <laughs> and this is where we're told that um this type of discrimination has been legislated against but that nobody really cares because as soon as you have an interview with anyone they can pick up your genetic code from anything that you touch. If you shake someone's hand, if you have a glass of water, like there's typically they can find some way to figure out what your DNA is and subsequently so <laughs> not, not hire you. I mean, it is creepy, but it's true. Like that is true. That is like, we leave DNA behind us oh, all yeah. the time. Oh yeah. And that is right, right, right how quite a lot of like you know that's why people believe that crimes should be able to be all solved immediately and stuff. <laughs> yeah they should i mean according to forensic files they are but like the <laughs> the thing the thing is it's and obviously we deal with this in our universe or our reality where people are discriminated you know, based on the way they look and all of that stuff. But can you imagine, like, someone just, like, at a cellular level being like, you're not good enough. Right. And, like, you and you cannot get, like, you literally can't get jobs. That's why I said at the beginning, like, in this world that we're living in, in this movie, I don't know how you could choose not to be right. genetically well, and I think you will not succeed. Yeah. And the thing that I think is perhaps more indicative about how this world works is it's one thing like they show him attempting to do interviews and then he's talking about how they do these tests and how it never works out. But what's even more telling is then when he finally does his interview at Gattaca and it's just a, gen a genetic test and that is literally the entire interview. Yeah. That is like, I think even more telling, which is like they don't actually ask him do like, have any math skills or like any kind of preparations for these right. things it's literally his it's literally that he's and the fact that they call them valid versus invalid right like that's pretty telling too yeah um <laughs> you're not even a valid human <laughs> right um so then we see uh that this swimming competition thing has remained a component of vincent and anton's relationship with each other and they are doing this swim out. And it just so happens that on this one particular day, um, Vincent ends up swimming out farther than Anton and actually has to save Anton's life um, out in the water. And according mm -hmm. to the movie, this is when we hear Vincent say, um, that's the moment that made everything else possible. So basically, 
he hadn't even imagined for himself that he could ever kind of rise above the state of his uh, genes or whatever. Like, um, mm. and so, but this opera, this moment happens, and it's like, oh, maybe I can really do something different than what I imagined. Mm-hmm. And so, this is when representation matters when I, you see yourself reflected. <laughs> I guess that's what the point of this movie was. Is genetic engineering the way of the future? Will Vincent ever make it to space? Does representation really matter? Find out next week when we finish our discussion on Gattaca on See You Next Week in Space. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of See You Next Week in Space. This is a production by Amy and Sarah Walsh with artwork provided by Riley Brown. If you'd like to learn more about our show, please check us out at seeyounextweekinspace.com or follow us on Instagram at seeyounextweekinspace. Until the next one.